Well, good morning, everybody. Wow, I'm out of breath because I was back there having the best kind of time worshiping Jesus at the back of the room. I'm all hot and discombobulated. I don't know what it sounds like on your television screens or your computer screens or phones or tablets, but it was a little bit of heaven for me here. And I'm just excited to preach to you after singing like that and watching and seeing and being reminded of how God has blessed our church body so well with people that are so talented to just lift up the joys of heaven. I don't know if we'll be able to have it as loud as we had it here when we get people back again, but I'm going to advocate for it. And I was teasing John Anderson, said, man, this is just a little slice of heaven for me. So, But Happy New Year, everybody. And I know this is not the way we probably intended it to be. I know it was not the way I thought it would be. But this is the day that the Lord has made. And we do want to rejoice and be glad in it. And so as we have begun with worship, we have confessed, we've been assured, we've done all these things. Now let us pray together. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your mercies that are new every morning. I thank you for your grace that is eternal. I thank you for the hope that you give us as Christians. That when I bow my head and I pray like this, I don't hope you hear me. I know you do. Prayer is the great vehicle that we have to speak to you as Father. You are not busy. You are not distracted. You have not forgotten us. Your eye is on the sparrow, and I know that you are watching me and us. You see all 7.9 billion human beings on planet earth because, Lord, you created them. And your precious dear son came and lived for us and died for us and rose again for us. And all the invitation goes out to all humanity to come to the Savior. Lord, I'm also thankful for the gift of prayer because it means we can ask you to help us. We can pray over our city of St. John's, Newfoundland. We can pray for our mayor, our premier, and our prime minister. We can pray for all of the churches in this city that are gathering. Some have been able to find ways to do it in person. Many are doing it online. Lord, it is just a cautious and confusing time. But you are God and you are God alone. So Lord, we do begin to the year 2022 and beg of you to revive our city and province. Lord, may the gospel be boldly and proudly proclaimed and yet may it be done so with gentleness and meekness. May there be a friendliness about us and we will see this today in our passage. Lord, I pray for the hurting and the distraught. I pray for the bitter and angry. I pray for the searching and the doubter. I pray for the young person trying to make that decision with maybe one foot in church and one foot in the world. I pray for the skeptic and the agnostic, even the atheist. Lord, I pray for professing Christians. Oh God, that we would this year, the year 2022, seek your face while you may be found. 
Lord, if it please you, would you rid of us of the tyranny of COVID-19? Nevertheless, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. But may we, may I, and may we as Calvary Baptist Church know what it means to live life with Jesus, to display our humanity, our frailties, and our weaknesses, and yet always point to the one who has overcome them all. What a friend indeed we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. So Lord, now as we turn our attention to the Word of God, may the people hear you, not me. May the power of the Word of God read find its way into the hearts and minds of men and women, whoever they are, wherever they are. May people not be impressed with me, but Father, be overwhelmed and amazed by you. And Lord, all I can say is I'm a sinner saved by grace. I only want to lift high the trophy of grace that you have given me, and may you get all the honor and the glory, not only on this first Sunday of 2022, but Lord, may you get it every single Sunday of this year as you give it to us. So now, Father, speak, Lord, through me, to me, and to every man and woman, boy and girl, who will hear these words. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to go to John chapter 15 with me this morning. John chapter 15, I will be reading the last few verses of that chapter and into the beginning of John chapter 16. And my big idea this morning is really this, what is life like with Jesus? What is life with Jesus really like? And even though I'm I'm really trying to calm myself down. I really mean it when I said I just so enjoyed the musical portion of our worship this morning. But here we are. I'm looking at a camera again. I'm looking at a green dot at the back of a room. I'm thankful that the music team is here, so there are some human beings and expressions that I can look at, albeit only sets of eyes because everybody's masked. But it's January the 2nd of 2022. And in March, we will officially hit the two-year mark of when COVID-19 arrived on the shores of Newfoundland and Labrador. And so much has changed, and yet, so much has stayed the same. But Calvary Baptist, have we not seen God move? We've seen God supply and provide and protect us, have we not? In 2021, people came to know Jesus, and not just know of Jesus, but actually know Jesus relationally. We've been blessed as a church in my seven years here, which will be in just 10 days, I'll officially celebrate my seventh anniversary of moving back to Newfoundland and Labrador. We have seen folks get baptized every single year and saw more people get baptized again this year. People have joined our church. We've celebrated marriages celebrated births, celebrated adoption. We have seen people go through and have milestone birthdays and anniversaries. Oh, it's true, we've said see you later and goodbye to some people. And along the way, we've said hello to a bunch of new people. But all the while, as we've experienced that, we've navigated the ups and downs of life as a church and as individuals and people. Indeed, if you just stop for a few moments and reflect in the quietness of your home, you'll quickly recall things. Think back over the last 12 months. 
the moments and experiences that made you laugh, that made you happy, moments that you'll treasure. I know for Debbie and I, it was welcoming a third grandchild into our family, and I never get tired of holding a newborn baby. But we also remember and know the times that we cried, we had sorrow or grief, and we were angry. And just as we've ended a year and now begin a new one, and yet here we are in the middle of the biggest wave of COVID we've ever experienced with more lockdowns and demands and many, as many unknowns now than ever before, what are you and I to do? What are we as a church to do in 2022? To put it another way, what will life with Jesus actually be like this year? What are you hoping for and praying for? What have you, to be cliche-like, resolved to do over the next 365 or now 363 days as God gives it to us? And whoever you are out there watching in, we all have these things, every single one of us. We've got hopes and dreams and concerns and wishes and desires. Debbie and I were alone yesterday and had supper together, and I just love praying with my wife, and we prayed out our own requests and desires and wishes and hopes and dreams. For some of you out there, this is the year, 2022, when you want a better marriage or you want family to be more important. Some of you long to see that person you've been praying for come to Christ. Others are hoping to walk more with Jesus this year, or you're hoping that a friend, a spouse, a child, a parent, a sibling, someone will as well. Heck, I know I want to walk more with Jesus in 2022. Some of you are thinking, I hope I get to see my parents. I long for a closer relationship. Some of you might be thinking, I need to set up more boundaries. Some of you are thinking, this is the year I need to get a job or finish school, pass my grade or my course, get my driver's license. Some of you young people are hoping, will this be the year I get my first boyfriend or my first girlfriend? Some of you might be thinking, can I just get a friend in 2022? Maybe some of you are hoping for a healed relationship. Some of you are praying for more money. Some of you for more money to give. Some for more money to get out of debt. Maybe some of you out there want to start a family or get married. Some of you might be very personal thinking, 2022 is the year I find myself. Or at least figure out what God wants from me or even for me. Maybe you're hoping to go on a diet, lose some weight, overcome fear. Maybe you're hoping that 2022 is the year you can finally take a vacation and travel. Some of you are like, I want to read my Bible more. I want to pray more. I want to serve more. I want to spend more time with my spouse, my kids, or whatever, 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 whatever. Many of us are praying for peace. Some are trying to overcome anxiety. Maybe you're asking Jesus that 2022 is the year you'll finally be free of depression or you'll finally feel and, and, and sense health or you're praying for the health of a loved one. And on and on and on it goes. But I return to it again. What is life with Jesus really going to be like this year? Or if you're here, or rather if you could be here with me, and you claim to be a Christian, let me ask you this. For you, how is the Christian life going? 
honestly. Are you happy or sad? Are you scared or frustrated? Are you excited for this year ahead of us, or are you already wishing it was over? Well, someone out there finds themselves in this introduction, and I want you to know that John chapter 15 and 16 is exactly where you and I should be on January the 2nd. Because in the coming weeks, Lord willing, when we get, and especially when we get to John chapter 17, we'll be able to not only answer this question of what is life with Jesus really like, but we'll figure out just how wonderful it is to do life with Jesus and know how much he cares for you and indeed how much he loves us and even more, how much he cares and loves the whole world. You see, Calvary family, I believe it's of Christ that we're going to begin 2022 in John chapter 16 and 17. I can't wait to share with you what Jesus gives his disciples. It's a blueprint for life and ministry. And then the greatest joy we could have, I think, this year in John chapter 17 to spend weeks studying how Jesus prayed, how he prayed for his disciples and he prays for us. Now, I don't know about you, but I know I need this. And when we arrive at John chapter 15, verse 18, we do so where Jesus has just hours ago instituted the Lord's table, something we were supposed to celebrate today. He's dismissed Judas, who's now off to betray him. He's only hours away from betrayal, abandonment, torture, and crucifixion. And now he's given these disciples, in John chapter 13, three particular lots of news. In sequential order, he says, guys, I'm leaving you. Secondly, someone here is going to betray me. And finally, you are all too weak to do it on your own. And then he says in chapter 14, verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled. It almost sounds like if I stood up and said that to begin the service, isn't it? On COVID fifth wave, let not your hearts be troubled. And you'd be like, Steve, are you not looking around? He's basically saying to his disciples, I know life will be difficult. And I know you'll have issues with knowing I'm with you. And I know you'll struggle and experience betrayal and opposition. But I promise you this, even as you discover just how weak you are, Jesus will lay out commands and promises and assurance for how they will always know he is with them, how they will stand for him against opposition and even persecution, and how they will find hope and strength as they deal with their own weaknesses and struggles. So, after challenging them to love each other, and then showing them how to abide in him and how the Holy Spirit will guide them and teach him. Now he explains why. So let me read John chapter 15, verse 18. This is the word of God. Listen to it today. Don't just hear it. Listen to it. Thus says the Lord, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, then the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore, because of that reality, the world hates you. Verse 20 is one of my favorite verses. Remember the word that I said to you? A servant is not greater than his master. 
If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name. Why? Because they do not know him who sent me. And then Jesus goes even further in verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. And he goes even further. And if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in, the, in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But, verse 26, everything changes. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, notice his pronoun, he will bear witness about me, and then you will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And keep going. He says, I have said all these things to you, and here's the reason he says this, to keep you from falling away. Oh, here's some examples of the theory is just said. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. Read later in the New Testament. Paul actually says this. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. And then he sums up this whole section. But I have said these things to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I've told them to you. This is the Bible. This is, this is red letter stuff. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. And I think this is timely for us to begin on January the 2nd of 2022. I want you to notice, first of all, what is life with Jesus really like? There's the cost of discipleship. There's a cost to following God. We all know that this life we call the Christian life is not easy. What is it, the uh, Cheetos commercial when the, the tiger says it's not easy being cheesy? It's not easy to be a Christian. But have you ever really asked yourself, what does my relationship with Jesus mean to me? There's a great way to begin your year. When was the last time you actually quantified, prioritized, valued your relationship with Jesus? What does it actually mean to you? Jesus here in this passage basically tells his disciple, this is what it's going to be like if you follow me. Here's what your future looks like. If you will trust me, then you'll experience life the way he did. The world is going to treat us and react to us exactly like they treated Jesus and responded to Jesus and Jesus even uses strong words, words that we often teach our kids. Don't use this word, this word hate. It's a big word right now. We have hate crimes. There's a lot of hatred and bigotry in the world. And Jesus says, the world will hate you. But then he actually unpacks what this 
hatred is going to look like. It actually unfolds itself in several different ways. Jesus points out in our passage, if you were of the world, they would love you. Now, what's he talking about? Because we're all human beings. Last time I checked, I'm still a human being. This is not about being a human. It's about being a part of the way the world thinks. In 2022, we live in a world and a country where everything is about affirmation. Affirmation rules. Live and let live. Accept me as I am. Survival of the fittest. Look out for yourself. Here's the great mantra of life. Be true to yourself. And Jesus goes on to tell his disciples, they are not of the world. Even more, they are chosen by him. In other words, are you ready for this? The world is against you simply because you are his. Simply because you're Christian. And Jesus brings this home in verse 20. That's why I said to you, he says, remember the word that I've spoken to you. A servant is not greater than his master. In other words, he's like, so you want to be like me? Well, then this is what it looks like. But then, believe it or not, in through this passage, Jesus gives us other responses of the world. When I thought about how the world responds to us, often the world responds to us in three different ways, or four. We are often ignored. We are often opposed. Sometimes, not often in Canada, are we persecuted. But look again at the last part of verse 20. At the last part of verse 20, he says, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Now watch this, though. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So we can be ignored, we can be opposed, we could be persecuted, and some will believe. These are the responses of the world. And I actually believe that Peter really absorbed this passage. I know Peter gets a bad rap. We're going to really unpack this when we get to the end of the Gospel of John. But if you read 1 Peter, it's basically a how-to book of this particular passage. In 1 Peter chapter 3, he sums up this passage so beautifully. And who will harm you if you are deeply committed to what is good? That's a great question. But even if you should suffer for righteousness, ready for this, Calvary family? You are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Or be disturbed, but honor the Messiah as Lord in your hearts. Always, here we go, here's a great uh, resolution for 2022 as people and as a church. Be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. However, do this, are you ready now, with gentleness and respect. Keep your conscience clear. So that when you are accused, notice it doesn't assume that you might not be, it assumes you will be. So that when you are accused, those who denounce your Christian life will be put to shame. Doesn't mean publicly, doesn't mean you're going to win arguments on social media. What does it mean? For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. This is what Jesus is saying life with, like his, with him is like. Jesus' message about himself was offensive. And because, deep down, the world is looking for a leader but not a savior. The world of today is no different than the world of Jesus' day. Everybody is looking for the greatest politician, the one who can solve the world's problems, but none of us actually think we're the problem. Remember that line by Lois Lane in the original Superman movie? 
Remember what she said to Clark Kent? She said, the world doesn't need a savior and neither do I. I love it when Hollywood actually says out loud what really the world means. Jesus in our passage goes on to explain why the world reacts in these various ways. Did you notice it? Because he gives us two things. In verse 22, he had spoken to them. In verse 24, I had done among them the works. So he basically says, they hate me because of who I am, what I said, and what I've done. This is what he sums up. They were actually offended by him, but some will be drawn to him. Some are curious by him. By what? His words and his works. And we must also see that it's very easy for us to confuse persecution. When we come to a passage like this in John, I don't want you to think that I'm here pre- preaching somehow the world is going to persecute us and, and, and we should wear it like a badge of honor. It's, that's so weird to me for Christians. You see, I actually think we believe that a lack of persecution can sometimes mean that God is pleased with us and that is not true. And sometimes, and I think it's more prevalent in the Canadian church of today, we actually think the existence of opposition or persecution is a sign of being right, us right with God and the complete opposite could be true. I'll give you a couple of biblical examples. If you went all the way back into Genesis and you had a guy named Lot who left his uncle Abraham and moved in to basically the Las Vegas of his world, and it looks like he had a great life, a comfortable life, and yet... He so just tried to pacify the culture around him, never open his mouth, try to live and let live and be at peace with everybody, that when it finally came to the point that he had to take a stand for God, even his family didn't buy in. Hence, the writer of Hebrews would say that Lot vexed his righteous soul. So here was a guy that didn't experience persecution, but that by no means meant he was right with God. And then yet... In the same book, we started reading the book of Proverbs in January. Persecution is not necessarily a sign of God's blessing either. Because in Proverbs 16, 7, it says the godly are not under the sword at all times. In the same chapter, it says when a man or woman's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to live at peace with him. What's up with that? If that's true, we may never completely escape the enmity of the world system Sometimes, and listen to me clearly because I want to say this, the Church of Canada is persecuted because of our own stupidity. Because Christians are rude. Because Christians are annoying. Because Christians are hypocrites and have a false piety. You see, persecution is not necessarily a sign that we are following Christ. But to be honest, I've often wondered... Why are we struggling with all this? I have struggled to write reports and to think and reflect on the last two years. And while let's be honest, even the last 25 years of North America, because most of the discussions I've lived with in the 25 years as a pastor, most of the fights I've had, the struggles I've been a part of, most of the sin I've had to face, the hypocrisy I've had to deal with, most of the impatience and gossip and even Hate has come from within the church by professing Christians and not from without the church by people who don't even claim to be. And so, as COVID has hit and the culture has turned even more away from Jesus, as government is less tolerant of faith, it seems like the church has turned more on itself. 
And when the church has attempted to confront the world, it sounds more, more like political activism than it does what Peter talked about in 1 Peter chapter 3. And I wonder if parts of China and the church in China and Indonesia and Russia and other places, Peter Kuzmik, a Yugoslavian Christian who suffered under communist persecution, here's what he wrote. So much popular Western evangelical religiosity is so shallow and selfish. It promises so much and demands so little. It offers success and personal happiness, peace of mind and material prosperity. And it hardly ever speaks of repentance or sacrifice or self-denial or a holy lifestyle or a willingness to die for Christ. But that's not what Jesus said to his disciples in this passage. What was life to be like with him? And to be honest, I've had the joy of worshiping with Russian Christians, going over with the poor of Jamaican Christians. I've worshiped with Jewish Christians in Tel Aviv. And what's amazing to me is just how joyful and friendly and resolved and sharing they are. One of the commonalities I've seen in all of them, they give out of their poverty, they serve with love and joy, they sing with passion, they suffer well, and they thrive off the smallest blessings. Calvary Baptist, this is what we need to strive for this year. They have counted the cost, and for them it's nothing because they have Christ, which means they have everything. See, Jesus' words and his works have affected them, convicted them. But Jesus says his words and his work and his person affected the world. Let me give you an illustration. I read the story this week of an African chief. In this case, she was a woman. She happened to visit a mission station, and hanging outside the missionary cabin on a tree was a mirror. The chief happened to look into the mirror and saw her reflection, and from what I've read, it was the first time she'd ever seen her reflection, and she was amazed by the paint and the evil features and the piercing she had on, and as she gazed, she actually was terrified and jumped back in horror, exclaiming, who is the horrible-looking person inside the tree? The missionary said, oh, Honey, it's not a tree. That's your reflection. The chief would not believe it. So the missionary gave her the mirror to hold in her hand, and she said, I must have this glass. How much will you sell it for? And this proceeded into a bit of an argument and because the missionary didn't want to sell it, but finally he gave in and gave her the mirror. To his shock... She takes the mirror and says, I will never have it making faces at me again. And she threw it on the ground and broke it in pieces. You got to see, friends, that's precisely what Jesus is saying the world will do. And tragically, it happens still today. We hate to see what we really are. A good look at Jesus results in one of two things. Either hatred and rejection or love brokenness. And that's why James says what he does. This is dear to me. I share this to you because James chapter 1 are verses that as I was a child into my teen years and young adults, when I first married Debbie, these verses tortured me and then God used them to save me because in James chapter 1, James says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And here's why. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer of it, 
He or she is like a man or woman who looks intently into a mirror and sees what they see, and they look at themselves and then go away and at once forget what they look like. James finishes up with the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He or she will be blessed in their doing. So this is the cost of life with Christ. Jesus says in verses 20 to 24, we'll be ignored, we'll be opposed, and we'll be persecuted. William Temple, the old Archbishop of Canterbury, once said, the world would not hate angels for being angelic, but it will hate men and women for being Christians. It grudges them their new character. It is tormented by their peace. It is infuriated by their joy. For whatever reason, the follower of Christ should expect times of persecution. In fact, Paul told Timothy, everyone who wants to live a godly life will also suffer for him. He told the Philippians that it's been granted for us to not only know Christ, but to suffer with him and for him. He told the Thessalonians that you know quite well that we were destined for persecution. And then Peter said, as he closed off his letter, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. (laughs) But this is the oxymoron. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. So this is the cost of following Christ. What's life with Christ like in 2022? We'll face being ignored, marginalized, pushed to the fringes of society. We will face opposition. We might even experience persecution. And yet through it all, some will respond. But then in verses 25, 26, and 27, Jesus gives us the promised courage of discipleship. Jesus immediately promises the witness of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't have the time to to unpack this because this is a powerful uh, passage of Scripture on the Trinity, but I want you to notice some things about the Holy Spirit in these verses. Notice Jesus does not say that the Holy Spirit is a force or an entity, but God. Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as He, and that the Spirit is sent from the Father, which is how Jesus referred to Himself. But then Jesus proceeds to tell the disciples that when the Spirit comes, He will do in and through them what He has done in Christ and through Christ. You will bear witness, He says. You are going to speak of me and for me. You'll testify with your words and your works. Your life will put Jesus on display. They were about to see Jesus lay down his life for them, and they would be so affected by that love, it would empower them to love him and others that way too. That's why Tim Keller said, love is at some level, at least, counting the other person's needs and interests is more important than your own needs or interests. By the way, that's in Galatians. But this is love. It's a love that's patient and long-suffering. It's gentle, and above all, it's hopeful. This is a love that simply loves to love. Kent Hughes gives this great illustration of this. What is the promised courage of love? It's to be able to be so gentle and patient and hopeful and long-suffering. You just get rejoicing, joy, and peace out of simply being loving. And is there anything better than the power of the illustration of a child? I read about a little boy named Stevie. 
the youngest of a family. He was quiet and shy. Some felt he was even on the autism spectrum. His mom says and writes about this in her blog that she writes that one day they moved to a new neighborhood and he went to a new school and mom's or Valentine's Day was coming up and so Stevie went to his mom and said he wanted help to make Valentine's for everyone in his class, 35 other students. She writes that Stevie said, I want them to know that I love them. She confesses that her heart sank at the prospect of her son's rejection. Because every afternoon, she watched the children coming home from school, laughing and hanging on to one another, all except her son, Stevie, who always was just a few steps behind them, nobody talking to him. And yet, at the same time, she didn't want to discourage her well-intentioned son. So she went and she got the paper and the glue and the crayons and the the different uh, templates. And Stevie, for three weeks, painstakingly made 35 Valentines for every student in his class. And then the day came. And she thought, this is going to be a tough day for my son. He ran out the door with all the Valentines under his arm. And all she could think was, I'm going to spend the afternoon making some cookies and having some cold milk ready for him when he comes home. And maybe that will ease the pain of not getting any Valentines back. That afternoon, she had the warm cookies and milk on the table, and she went over to the window and she watched. The bus came, and sure enough, here came all the kids laughing, and bunches of them had, you could tell, little bags of Valentines all under their arms. And then there was her Stevie, still walking behind the children, but he was walking a little faster. And she interpreted that as, bless his heart, he's probably ready to cry. His arms were empty. He didn't have a Valentine's to show. To her shock, Stevie came into the house, and she said, Sweetheart, Mama's made some warm cookies and milk for you. Just sit down. But Stevie's face was all aglow. He marched right up by her, and all he could say was, Not a one, Mom. Not a single one. I didn't forget one. They all know I love them. His joy was just telling everyone in his class, I love you. I read this poem, it says, a song isn't a song until it's sung, and a bell isn't a bell until it's rung, and love isn't love until it's given away. That's the promised courage of a life with Christ. Oh, it'll cost us something, but Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses, and then notice in verses 1 to 4 very quickly, the commission of discipleship. Because Jesus goes from the theory to practical examples. He says, okay, let me make this obvious for you guys. They're not just going to hate you, but here's what this means. They're going to throw you out of synagogues. They're going to want to even kill you. And can you imagine what this might be like? But notice he says this at the very beginning. He says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Jesus thought as they faced things being taken from them, not being liked, not being included When we all have our Stevie moment, will we be tempted to go, this ain't worth it. I'm going to compromise. I'm going to give up. I'm not going to do it. See, the greatest danger is not just the persecution, but it's discouragement. Can you imagine how Matthew, the tax collector, thought when he heard Jesus tell him, they're going to kick you out of synagogue. The Benedict Arnold, who had been accepted by Jesus, and likely that gave him access to the temple and the synagogue for the first time in years. Now Jesus says, when I leave, you'll probably get kicked out again, Matthew. But what's our commission? 
He says we are called to be witnesses, ambassadors. We are called to give up anything because in Christ we have everything. In the end, Kent Hughes sums this up so well. What Jesus prophesied came true. The disciples, though, did not stumble. Oh, they they kind of stumbled out of the gates, but man, they finished well. All except John died a martyr's death. They understood Jesus, and they understood that Jesus was hated, so they were. They weren't part of the world order. They were obedient as they lovingly shared Christ. But they, like Christ, were known for their words and deeds. They were known as Christians. Acts chapter 13 tells us the world was the one who gave us that nickname. They said they're like little Christs. They were hated for simply being Christian. Did you hear that, Matthew Leahy? Being Christian. You like that? They were always loving and humble and kind and gentle and soft-spoken. Paul and Peter reminded their churches, and the same word of God reminds us that we will face opposition. Calvary, in 2022, we're going to be ignored. We might even be falsely accused and even hated. But along the way, we are commissioned to be witnesses, to be filled and walked by the Spirit of God, to be respectful and calm and hopeful, to trust God over ourselves, to trust God over government, all the while praying for our government, being respectful to our government. We're called to pray and to serve and to love. We are, as my pastor friend Andy Constable said, to love and trust God, to love and serve others, and then we die and we will be forgotten from a worldly perspective. Yet, since we live for Jesus to God's glory, by His Spirit... We know we shall live eternally with him, and he will, God will, remember us forever. Now, practically, Jesus told his disciples, and the Bible of this passage tells us, we have the Holy Spirit. We have got his word. We've got prayer. So we can, with a true sense of grace and mercy, of forgiveness and patience, love those who hate us. We can love those who don't like us. And by the way, we can love those even who disagree with us. But I would like to remind us of something as I finish up. Not once in John 13, 14, and 15, not twice, but three times, we are commanded to love each other. In fact, in John 13, Jesus goes so far as to say how we love each other as Christians actually is what proves to the world that we are actually factually truly Christians. So as we begin a new year, if we can't, Now, let's be honest. If we won't love each other and forgive each other and pray with each other and for each other, if our church is going to be a church where we hold grudges and express bitter mistrust toward each other, if we can't speak the truth in love, if we refuse to listen to each other, or if we keep score and have a tiered sense of importance, especially in the church, if we serve conditionally or only give to our demands and our wants and our points of view, if we can have opinions but we state our opinions as if they're the only ones that are valid and thoughtful, if we yell at each other and accuse each other and have no unity and humility with each other as so-called Christians, if church is nothing more than what can I get, if it's always and only about your needs and your interests, then I've got two questions. One, how are we any different than the world? And two, what makes us think we will suffer well when the world in fact does hate us?
So how will we be Christians and a church in 2022? How will we be Calvary Baptist Church that loves God and loves people and serves others? How are we going to face being ignored by the world and opposed by the world, even persecuted by the world? How are we going to be able to say, you can have all this world, just give me Jesus? How will we be witnesses, love our enemies, be calm and respectful, forgiving and kind? How will we sacrifice and pray for our leaders, pray for the world, pray for each other? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where can we get such boldness? Well, Jesus tells us. He said, remember his words. So the Sunday school song was right. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Remember what those same disciples said in Acts chapter 4? After they had been threatened and persecuted, now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Read your Bible every day, not as a checklist, but to find boldness, to find love, to be reminded of Jesus' love. Let's pray every day this year. Church, Jesus loves us, amen? (laughs) Now listen to me. Isaac Adams puts it so well. Jesus loves us. He isn't mad at us. He isn't wondering if we're wasting his time. He isn't disappointed with us. He's not rolling his eyes when we come to him. He's not operating with a low level of irritation. He isn't standing with his arms folded waiting for us to mess up. J.I. Packer said, there is no new evidence of sin or depravity that will make God change his mind. God justified you, his eyes wide open. So when you believe this and when you trust Jesus, you've experienced the freedom and rest and peace and purpose and hope and grace and mercy, the overwhelming sense of belonging and security that comes from Christ, then you can't help yourself but love Jesus and love your fellow Christians, and then you'll love those who hate you. And you know what? We'll be a church and a people that will drive the world crazy, but the curiosity of the world will be pricked. And God will be with you and never leave you and never forsake you. And you'll know that through your suffering, God will draw people to himself. I read this week of a mom who had prayed for her son for 15 years. Let me say that again. 15 years. He had left home, became addicted to drugs, publicly declared his hatred of God and the church and his family. He was angry and accusing and hurting, but this past Christmas, God saved him and he was home with his mom. His dad had already passed away over the last 15 years. Home with his mom, reunited with his family. He had experienced the love of Christ that had changed him and drew him home and connected him back to his mom. He had experienced forgiveness and was able to extend it, but it was the mother's words that got me. She wrote, I have prayed for my son. I have loved my son, and I have suffered at the hands of my son. But every day I gave him to Jesus who gave himself for me. For 15 years I cried out to Jesus to do for my son what he had done for me. I suffered the loss of sleep and money, of reputation and jobs. I had to surrender my pride and seek forgiveness over and over again. I prayed every day for 15 years, but Jesus allowed me to run to my son this Christmas and say what the father said to the prodigal. Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet because this son of mine was dead but is alive again. He was lost and is found. And the mom went on to say, oh, I suffered. 
I bore the sting of my son's rejection and people's gossip and judgment. I felt lonely and powerless, but I kept reading God's word. I kept praying to my Savior. I kept rehearsing the gospel to myself over and over, and my son over and over, and day after day after day, and God gave me the joy, not just the joy of restored friendship and relationship with my son, but the spiritual relationship of a son who loves God. So church, we're going to face all kinds of issues in 2022. Indeed, the world will ignore us and oppose us and maybe even hate us simply for being Christians. But if God calls us to suffer this year, to endure setbacks and hurt, if we remember what Paul said, I count it all joy that I get to suffer with Christ. We're only going to do that if we believe Jesus loves me, this I know. Because the Holy Spirit tells me so, and the Word of God shows me so. And we will believe that Revelation 21 is not only a hopeful, but our destiny. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and He will live with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. So between January of 2022... With COVID still raging and sin still present and death all around us, pain every day, we're experiencing grief and crying that we will all see and feel so many times over the next 300 plus days. We live, we love, we serve, we pray, we forgive, we example Christ because we believe in God the Father, in Christ the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and all this will pass away. And in fact, we've been called to give this world previews of coming attractions. And so... 2022 is truly the year of our Lord. So Calvary Baptist, let us believe in the promise of discipleship and the commission of discipleship so that the cost will not seem at all costly because Jesus plus nothing does in fact equal everything. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, I beg of you that my friends and my family Visitors and strangers will have heard a better sermon than I could preach. Lord, I want our life with you to be like that it was with the disciples back in the first century. That we will love you and we will love others and we will serve others and serve you for your glory. And we'll be honest. We won't be hypocrites. And we won't be religious, but we'll have a relationship. We'll be patient and kind, and gentle, and respectful. Indeed, Lord, you can have all this world, but give me Jesus. And Lord, be patient with us as we keep grabbing a hold of the world. Be patient with me. So if there's any man or woman out there that doesn't know you, I pray that this sermon will prick their curiosity, draw them to ask questions. And I pray for this church, and our ministries, and the people, and men and women, that they will be honest and say, Lord, What do I need to be honest about and give up and go to you for as we begin a new year? Oh God, use Calvary Baptist Church and all of her ministries for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name.